comes to these Wednesday podcasts. So what if Wednesday? And I got asked a question that, I don't know, made me think. So let's dive into it on today's Locked On Razorbacks podcast. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, John Neighbors. I am also the host of Out of Bounds. You can catch every weekday afternoon from 1 to 4 on 1037thebuzz and 1037thebuzz.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, And when you enter in promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Hope everybody's having a wonderful Wednesday as I saw that my podcast got quite a reaction from so many fans yesterday, not necessarily Razorback fans, but Alabama fans who I guess took my podcast as an insult towards them, which wasn't at all, but what are you going to do? Either way, uh, it was pretty funny to see all that go down, but I was going through kind of looking at the summertime and looking at just the next step when it comes to uh, going into the month of July and going into SEC media days. And just kind of planning out uh, what I was going to look at. Maybe some guests that we were going to bring on here on the podcast too. But I got actually a DM on Twitter from a guy named Ted. And I'm hoping I'm taking him seriously. And I appreciate you listening and watching Ted. But he just DM'd me. I think it was probably Sunday. And said, hey man, if you're going to be doing What If Wednesday again this summer. I got, a one, I got one that I'd like you to start on. What if Arkansas wins 10 games this year? Okay. <laughs> Simple as that. Well, first off, I'm glad that he actually remembered my What If Wednesdays because uh, those were always fun. At least I found them fun. But uh, the What If Wednesday and being Arkansas winning 10 games in football this year is a fascinating one because if you listen to this podcast and you know about uh, my belief that this team will be better this year, um, how much better is yet to be determined. But I think that they will be improved from what they were this past season. Uh, I've talked about the schedule. I've talked about all the the things that uh, give me belief or at least give me the good reason to believe that Arkansas is going to be a better team overall this year. Like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to win eight, nine games this year. But to win 10 games, and I'm assuming that Ted is talking about 10 regular season games. Because bowl games, yeah, I mean, if you... If you go nine and three and then win one to go ten and three, that's great. But if you go ten and two, uh, even if you finish ten and three, losing a bowl game, uh, getting that double digit win in the regular season is even more so important to me. And you know, Arkansas people like to make fun of Arkansas in the SEC and all of that, which you know, because of the Chad Moore's years and because of uh, Brett Bielma at the end of his tenure and everything, it's kind of easy to make fun of them. But uh, you know, those were the, the worst years of all time. But if you think about it, Arkansas this millennium has actually had a grand total of three 10-win seasons. And those aren't ones that you needed the bowl game to win 10 wins either. Those are 10 wins in the regular season. Arkansas, of course, went 10-2 and in 2006. They went 10-2 and in 2010. In 2011, they also went 10-2. and So it's happened three different times. Not many SEC teams can say that other than the big dogs. Like, you know, Ole Miss, I think, has done it twice. Maybe. I don't even know if they've done it that many times. I don't think Mississippi State has done it yet. I don't think they've done it at all this millennium. Uh, Texas A&M, since joining the SEC, has only done it once. Um, 
You know, I think Missouri maybe did it when they first joined. I mean, you know, the, the, the point is, is that there haven't been a lot of teams that's been able to find that consistency. North Carolina, or not North Carolina, South Carolina, I think has done it three times. They did it in three years in a row uh, when Steve Spurrier was there and they had some success. So it, it's not like they've been just absolute trash and have no business ever winning 10 games or have shown that it's impossible for them to win 10 regular season games in the SEC. Because I still believe that the time that Arkansas did win 10 games uh, in 06, 2010, and 2011 was still when the SEC was at its peak during that time, or at least in 2010 and 2011, uh, was at its height of uh, ultra-competitiveness, especially when it came to all the teams across the board. But that's neither here nor there. We're talking about this year. This year, if Arkansas, what if Arkansas won 10 games is the question. What if Arkansas won 10 games? Well, there would be a lot of effects from this and a lot of things that get impacted from this, and it would be in a very positive way, obviously. And it would first off start with fans and expectations in the program in general. If Arkansas was to go 10-2 and two this year, odds are you would be going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Sugar Bowl, maybe. Uh, you know, bowl, Peach Bowl. You know, whatever the bowl game is that they'd be set up to go, you'd be in a New Year's Six Bowl and it'd be the first one that you've been in since uh, they started doing the New Year's Six Bowl. So that right there is worth something, and that'd be exciting because you'd play another high-quality team. Uh, it'd be a great matchup. You'd have all the players that you possibly could have return and try to come back to play in that bowl game, you know, instead of some players moving on, you may have some players move on too, but uh, the excitement surrounding all of that uh, would be at an all-time high. And it would also, for Sam Pittman, if Arkansas won 10 games, you know, I think he's done a great job so far at Arkansas of just establishing that he does belong in the SEC as an SEC coach. Now, is he the best SEC coach? No, but... He's certainly not out of his element. Like, he understands it. And Arkansas going 8-4 and four just two years ago, considering where they were and how they got there, uh, to me, proved that. Now, this past year, of course, you go 6-6, six and six, wasn't ideal, but still, you were this close to being able to have a 9-3 season. And I would even say on paper and on, uh, as a team and as a talent, uh, you were good enough to be that team. But you weren't. I mean, you went 6-6. Six and six. It is, is what it is. But Sam Pittman has proven that he does belong as an SEC coach. But if he was to go 10-2 and two this year as a head coach, that would prove to me, and I'm sure to a lot of different people, that not only is he worthy of being an SEC coach, he's one of the better SEC coaches in the SEC. Because you need some, some consistency. I, I get all that. But it's one thing if you were a coach that comes into a program takes all the players that the previous coach had, put it all together and motivate them, and then go out and be able to win with that talent. Like that, that's, that's saying one thing. You know, like We've seen coaches do that before. And then once they actually get their team in and once they actually get their guys in there and get going, you start to see, okay, well, this coach just benefited from having the talent, but he doesn't really know what he wants or how he wants it or anything like that. Going into year four, when the vast majority, if not uh, like overwhelmingly, would be all of Sam Pittman's players. I mean, KJ Jefferson still technically would be from the Chad Morris era. I don't think anyone's going to ever give him credit for that, nor should they. But besides him, pretty much everybody else would be Sam Pittman's players, or at least the players that came to Arkansas under Sam Pittman. So he was able to build a team in year four that was able to get to the 10 wins, and he would get a massive contract extension, rightfully so. Um, he would be 
talked about as one of the you know best coaching jobs and the turnaround of Arkansas and, and everything uh, to go along with it too. It would be great if Arkansas would winning 10 games for recruiting to show that you can win at a high level and being able to have that momentum going into the 2024 season, especially, which by the way, we find out that schedule of what Arkansas is going to be looking at in 2024 tonight. Uh, but you throw all that into the mix too, and it all comes together. And it really sets Arkansas into a great position moving forward because Sam Pittman's not going to go anywhere. It's certainly, uh, you know, you're going to be losing some players into the next season and probably some good ones in the draft. I mean, you're going to lose KJ Jefferson, probably going to lose Rocket Sanders. You know, you're going to lose some key pieces. But with the way the recruiting's gone and with the way that uh, the building has gone and, you know, having some young players and the way that Arkansas has done a really good job in the transfer portal, it seems like you'll be okay going forward. Will you be a 10 wins team every single year? Probably not. But honestly, I think all Razorback fans are pretty realistic when it comes to their football program. I've always said that Arkansas needs to be a seven or eight win team each and every year with that at once every four, five years getting to that 10-11 strength. That's not unbelievable. That's not impossible. That should be the expectation. And Arkansas would get to that point if they won the, those 10 games too. But I think more so than anything, than all of that, which all of that's important and all of that's big, but to me, what it would mean, and what if Arkansas won 10 games, what it would mean is that all of the doubt, all of the, the stuff about Arkansas that's gotten thrown against them, that people kept saying that, oh, they don't belong in the SEC, they need to leave to go to the Big 12, uh, they need, you know, they're never going to be competitive, the, the, the conference teams have all passed them by, you know, all of this crap that Razorback fans have had to hear for over the past five years, especially, just because Chad Morris was a joker. And everyone thought outside of the state of Arkansas that Chad Morris was an in indication of exactly the type of program that Arkansas was, which was, I mean, you couldn't have, be further from the truth than that. Um, it would prove that Arkansas, and at a place like Arkansas, you can win in this conference. That has been one of the biggest frustrations I've ever seen and ever heard from people outside of the state who've never even been here and don't know what the Razorbacks are capable of, what the program's capable of. They just automatically assume that you can't win there. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Folks, it's the SEC. And you can win at a place like Arkansas in football if you have the right coach in place. Like, that's how it is pretty much everywhere. Now, some places are more difficult than others. I mean, is it tougher to win 10 games at Arkansas than it is Georgia? Of course it is. Like, I think everybody understands that. So many of those that said that, oh, okay, well, you know, Arkansas is just, a, it's a bottom dweller. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to win many games. And, you know, playing in the SEC West is, is so tough and they're always going to be on the bottom of that. Well, here's the thing, folks. Uh, SEC West and East are going away in 2024. There's not going to be a division like that anymore. So the schedule is going to open up to where Arkansas can have more opportunities and playing more teams and not having to just, sit there and play the same teams over and over and over again, they get to have it be mixed up a little bit and maybe find some other matchups and maybe put it all together in a certain particular years. But it'll prove more than anything that Arkansas belongs in this conference. They can win at this conference and it'll shut up everybody that's ever said that Arkansas is not a program you can be successful in in football. That, that's what it would be to me. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think that that's kind of uh, where it sits. Um, I don't know if Arkansas is going to win 10 games, so I want to make that clear. I'm not going to predict Arkansas to win 10 games this year. 
Uh, I've said many times that the, the if best case scenario everything goes right nine and three. Um, I think the bare minimum or the the worst case scenario for this team six and six, and I think right about you know eight wins is fair to say. Seven wins if something goes wrong, you know, like but ten wins would be extraordinary out of like out of the league of everybody and what anybody's ever said about Arkansas. So uh, not getting the hopes up for that, but. I think it's interesting to at least talk about and go with it on the uh, What If Wednesday. And I'm sure we'll do more of those as the summer goes on. But, folks, let me tell you about bird dogs, all right? They make you look good. I, I've got a few pairs of bird dogs myself. They're these shorts that you, you would think that, okay, well, what's so special about a pair of shorts? Well, every time I wear my bird dogs, they're weirdly comfortable. And I mean that in the most positive way. Because you would sit there and you would, you would feel them with your fingers and you would look at them and you'd see how they're shaped. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would I wear something like this? But once you put them on, you see what it's all about. It's like stuff that James Bond would wear. Like it, it just immediately fits you perfectly. The comfort level is incredible. It keeps you to where you're, you're, you're cool, but you know, you're not itching or anything like that. And it also, the best thing about it is it uses the anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that helps keep you cool and dry all day long. So those are the things that you look for in a pair of shorts. And that's what Bird Dogs offers you. So you need to check them out. You won't be disappointed. They got all the different types of brands as well as the different styles and all of the different names. And I'm sure a lot of you will get a kick out of that. But just go over to birddogs.com right now slash LockedOnCollege. Birddogs.com slash LockedOnCollege. Enter in promo code LockedOnCollege for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash LockedOnCollege for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. I promise you that. You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so moving on into the next segment of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast, um, the basketball team kind of gave some roster updates over the uh, past, I guess, 12, 18 24 hours, depending on when you're watching this or listening to this. Uh, but we know that uh, with the scholarship still remaining open, uh, they're waiting. You know, they're waiting to see how that all plays out. But they decided to get a jump on it and start talking about some of the transfers that they have coming in and uh, everything like that. So uh, I thought it was interesting. They even gave uh, some you know, height and weights as well as some, uh, uh, some background information. And then what may be most, the most important thing would be uh, the – numbers that they're going to be wearing so I thought this was really cool and uh, you know hearing uh, Eric Musselman talk about him of course he did during SEC meetings a lot and, and talked about how excited he was about this team and they went through some breakdowns as well and uh, but one of the things that uh, it really stood out to me and this is just kind of to run through it all uh, Khalif Battle the transfer from Temple 6'5 185 pounds he's going to wear number zero uh, Keon Minifield is going to wear number one he's the Transfer from Washington, 6'1", 150 pounds. He's a sophomore, but uh, he's going to be uh, the point guard there. Trevin Brazil sticking with number two. Uh, we know him, 6'10", 220 pounds, uh, which he's actually gained some weight. Uh, gained about 10 pounds since last year, according to the media guide. You got uh, L. Ellis at number three. He's at 6'3", 180, and uh, he's a transfer from Louisville. He's a senior. Devo Davis being a senior, number four. So zero one two three four. 1234 um, with uh, Devo Davis throughout the throughout that, and then Joseph Pinion still on the team with number five, sophomore six five, and then number six, Layden Blocker, the true freshman, sophomore uh, six five, one hundred ninety five pounds. So 
uh, or six two, 180 pounds. So it's just funny to me that you got zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, all represented there for the Arkansas numbers. The next one is uh, Jalen Graham. People keep forgetting that he's on the team, but Jalen Graham, 6'10, 220, fifth year senior. Um, he's actually lost five pounds, it looks like, from last year's roster or, or uh, from what they had him listed at. But you have 12, at number 12, Tremont Mark, the transfer from Houston, 6'6, uh, 185. He's technically a junior on this year's team. Uh, you got Makai Mitchell still coming back at number 15. Uh, keeping the same number, 6'10", 240, fifth-year senior. Uh, you have Cade Arbogast, the walk-on at uh, number 21. Uh, Jeremiah Davenport, who's at number 24, he's the transfer from Cincinnati. He's 6'6", uh, 215 pounds. Uh, he's actually was listed at 6'7", at Cincinnati, so uh, I don't know if he's shrunk or what, but they have him at 6'6". Lawson Blake, the other walk-on at number 45, 6'10", 240. But Bayfall still has, uh, has not gotten a number, has not... There, there's probably something, there's a reason why, but they're still expecting him to be on campus, so there's no issues there. They're still expecting him to be there, but, uh, you know, he didn't have a number and hasn't been officially uh, on campus, but they're expecting him to be there soon. So uh, that's the latest we know about him. But either way, I, I, I bring all that up because I laughed about when I was talking about yesterday, uh, just on social media, and again, this is where I guess Alabama fans took such issue, which I still don't know why they were so mad yesterday when I was literally in a way, complimenting them, saying that now that they have a guy like Grant Nelson on their team, they really upped their game, and now they're going to be a borderline top 15 team. Like, I don't know why they were feeling like that was such an insult, but, you know, Bama basketball fans aren't too bright, and they don't really like to pay attention. But either way, one of the things that got brought up is talking about Arkansas's roster and how uh, it's in really great shape, and I still think without Grant Nelson, it's a great roster. But that's some people saying, like, there's just too many guards, too many guards, too many guards. It's terrible. Not enough size, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at I'm looking at the heights. I'm like, okay, you got 6'5", 6'1", 6'10", 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 6'2", 6'10", 6'6", 6'10", 6'3", 6'6", 6'10", 6'10". Okay, so is that bad? <laughs> I feel like you got a lot of re- good representation in size. I mean, yeah, you got a couple of guys that are, you know, sub 6'2". But like most of your players, you got six, I mean, six, four, six, five, six, five, six, ten, six, 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 seven, six, eight. Like, I think you're good. I think you're good in size. And you got uh, players that, yeah, they're guards, but they're big guards. You got to remember that too. Like, you know, if you think about, you know, Khalif Battle or even uh, Tremont Mark, people talk about these guards. And yes, they are guards, but they're both six, six. Like, those are big guards. You know, like you got uh, Davenport. Uh, who's six six, versus at six seven, and he's more uh, looked at as as kind of like a forward. Well, they're all the same size. So how does that work? Uh, I mean, so I I just find it funny. But then you talk about size, and you got Brazil at six ten, you got Jay Young Graham at six ten, you got Makai Mitchell at six ten, you got Bayfall at six ten. You got four guys that are six ten or above, and who knows with that final scholarship that they have open, they'll they go with another big guy that's over six ten or six ten or above. So the point is, is that the roster's coming together. It's a really good roster. It's good enough to be a top 15 team. Eric Musselman is one of the top coaches in the country, and he's going to make this all work. So that's the point. But it's nice to at least know that what the numbers are looking like, what the weight and size, and knowing what the roster is officially looking like at this point. And I guess we'll just wait to see what the next step is for them and who they decide to get. Uh, we'll jump into the final segment and uh, talk about a heroic story, actually, on the other side of the break here on Locked on Razorbacks podcast. So stay with us. 
You are Locked On Razorbacks, your daily podcast on the Arkansas Razorbacks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so final segment of the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Uh, it was a little frustrating. I really wanted to play this video. I, I really wanted to play it on the podcast, uh, but due to copyright infringement from Good Morning America and ABC, uh, they would not allow me to do so. Uh, but I hate that that's the case, but I understand it. I don't want to use anybody else's thing. But for those of you who may not have seen it, and if not, uh, you can go to my Twitter account, Buzz John Neighbors. I retweeted it and everything. Uh, Peyton Hillis, former Razorback great. Uh, we know about a story about how he was in a serious situation uh, where he was on life support, essentially, uh, according to some people, when he went to try and save his son and niece from drowning uh, down in the Gulf. A uh, very scary story happened back in January. And it, it was something that, you know, people didn't really know what it was going to equate to. But we got the story out, and then we saw that he's making a recovery. He's good to go. He's fine, which was awesome. But they did an actual sit-down interview with Michael Strahan and Peyton Hills and talked about the story itself. And, I mean, me just saying it is not going to do it justice. But some of the quotes that uh, Peyton Hills said in this, uh, in this interview when he was breaking it down was that uh, he, he said that, uh, the nearest flag warning of dangerous waters was a mile away, so there were no flags up. You couldn't see any flags. Uh, but he says that, I hear my mom screaming, and so I looked at her, and she pointed to my son. She says, Ori and Camille are drowning. And I didn't even think. I just re- reacted and started running towards the water, uh, which Camille was his niece, and uh, Ori was his son. He says, quote, I think the scariest point to me was when I was swimming to my son. I have to pass him because my niece is in more danger. I knew that I had to pass him up to get to Camille first because if I didn't, there was no way she would have made it. And so I swam past my son, and I got to Camille, and she starts freaking out. You know, we're going to die. We're going to die. I go, honey, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. Like, just like, I don't even have kids, man, but just like hearing that, I could not imagine as a dad trying to, like, or a parent having to pass your own kid to go save your niece because of them being in a more serious situation. But the know with all to have that, uh, was incredible. Uh, he goes on to say the gentleman uh, came and gave us a boogie board and I put Camille and my sister on the boogie board and pushed them away. And I knew I had to come back for my son. But by the time I got there, he was pretty much limp. He didn't have any more strength in him to swim. And I'm sitting there holding him and we're in seven and a half foot water. And you're thinking that's not bad. But when you're holding a 130 pound kid and the waves come in and are about 12 to tw- uh, 10 to 12 feet tall, you're just sitting there you know you can't swim, and you're holding him. You're seeing his eyes roll in the back of his head, and you're just thinking, Lord, please, I don't really care about my life. I don't, but if I can get him out of here, that's the only thing that I'm going to care about. Just a scary situation there. So uh, he was able to obviously fight. What he said, it seemed like an eternity before getting his kids to safety, and uh, he ended up passing out before he was about 20 yards out, and he just collapsed uh, because he was just you know, exhausted and, and everything. And he was under, like he was basically unconscious and when he was in the hospital, he says that he could hear everything perfectly clear, uh, but they didn't know that he could hear. And they said like things like, if you don't wake up soon, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. He was freaking out, but he couldn't do anything. He couldn't move. He just had that hose down his throat and everything and, um, and all of that. So it was just a, uh, it was a really cool story and a really heroic story. Uh, but I think that the, the quote, that made so much sense and really uh, brought it all home for, for Peyton is that uh, Michael Strahan asked him if he was, you know, you, you know, you're a hero. 
says you're a hero. And Peyton Hillis responds with, I'm not a hero. I think that's a very loose term that a lot of people like to apply the things that happen. I just call myself a dad. So, I mean, just an awesome story. Again, if you haven't seen the video, you need to check it out. But, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, former greats that, uh, you know, have been at Arkansas and have done things at Arkansas and all of that. And uh, people remember them from their great play on the field and all that. And that's great. But when you get stuff like this, like you gotta, you gotta just, you know, tip your cap to what Peyton Hillis and, and just say, man, that's, that's a greater story than, you know, anybody else could ever tell. And, uh, what he did again, you know, I know he's not going to say he's not a hero, but any parent would do that, but to do that and have the, the reaction and have the strength and have the ability to do so was just an incredible story. So shout out to him. Glad he's doing better. Glad he's on the road to recovery. And uh, glad that uh, everyone was safe and sound from that event because that could have been a really bad one. And so I uh, just wanted to share that and pass that one along because I always like Peyton Hill on the field. But uh, seeing that, man, you got you to respect him even more as a man and as a parent too. Appreciate everybody listening into the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Google Play. You can also get after me on Twitter at BuzzJohnNeighbors for any questions, comments, concerns that you may have. We'll keep it going from there. Same podcast time, same podcast channel tomorrow afternoon. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you then.